Amen. I wonder if we could just give the Lord a cheer this morning. Come on, let's put our hands together. Amen. Come on, how many love them this morning? Come on. Amen. You may be seated. Wow, so exciting. Good to see everyone here today. And uh, again, wanted to just uh, say a big welcome to our visitors. Anybody visiting with us today, maybe for the first time, just wanted to say welcome. And God bless you so much. Uh, thank you for visiting with us. Those of you online, and maybe you couldn't make it this morning with us in person, but you're online, uh, God bless you. We're just so excited that we're here today, and we have this opportunity to hear God's Word today. Amen. How many of you just know God's Word fires us up? Amen. It kind of really just has a way to impart life and everything, and so we're excited about that uh, today. Uh, again, I wanted to just repeat uh, uh, what Anthony had said earlier about thanking everyone for really helping with our event yesterday. Um, it was just uh, uh, great weather, beautiful weather, everything worked out, and so as we um, go along, we'll probably have more items to sell, and, and maybe that might be a fundraiser we do um, often, and, but the money just goes really towards, um, back towards the um, outreach and all our efforts in outreach, and, uh, and so we're excited because next month, October 8th, is going to be our Harvest Festival over at the OC, so we're excited about that. And so a lot of work goes into that, and a lot of good food goes into that, and we're excited. But uh, really just want to just kind of reach out and, and have a, a time of celebration with our, the community there of just really the harvest and uh, uh, the fall and really just um, uh, kind of just fellowshipping together uh, with our community there at uh, Catherine Street. So we're excited about that. I look forward to the Harvest Fest. I obviously don't look forward to all the work that goes into it, but love, 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 love the harvest. How many know there's work in the harvest? Either way, amen. So uh, we're excited about that. I uh, wanted to also just uh, mention that this last week, and I'm stalling a little bit. I'm trying to give him some time to come down here. Uh, it's Pastor Wayne's birthday this last week. and <laughs> Amen. So happy birthday. Amen, Dad. The big 8-0. And uh, so, yeah, celebrating what great milestone in his life, and uh, we're so excited about that. So, amen. How many uh, were here last week? Anybody? You just, or you heard the message last week? I'm going to kind of read, uh, start from a passage that I had mentioned last week, and then kind of go in a little bit different direction, and just, I'm really just depending on the Lord to lead this morning, and and uh, that we could share something that would encourage you, strengthen your faith, and uh, really just maybe uh, leave you a little bit different than when you came in here today. I love the power of God's Word. And how many know that God's Word has such an amazing ability that when we look at it and we read the Word, there's something that happens that we begin to see God in these pages. We begin to see His goodness and we begin to see His nature unfold as we look in the Scriptures. And so, you know, I don't know what your devotion is like and what you do on a daily basis, whether it's an app or, or whether you open your Bible, do the daily reading, reading plan, whatever you do. But, you know, just take heart this morning that every time we engage with the Word of God, there's something that God does in our hearts. Amen. And, and how many can say... Uh, uh, you know, you said many times in your life, I'm not where I should be. How many have ever said that? Well, I'm not really sure where I should be, but come on, how many know we can thank God for where we've been from? God has brought us from, amen. And, and so some of us can say, look what God has done, amen, in our lives, amen. So some of us are so worried about where we should be when we need to thank God where he's brought us from. And so wanted to do that. Can we turn in our Bibles or click on your device to Matthew chapter 18? Matthew chapter 18, I'm just going to Paraphrase the first couple verses, but read um, a few verses, and then we'll pray. 
I had mentioned this a little bit last week about having faith as a child. It was taken from Matthew 18, but I want to read a little bit uh, more about this. At this particular time, the disciples asked Jesus this uh, grand question, and they loved to ask Jesus this question. They did it two or three times. Who's going to be the greatest? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? And uh, these are the disciples, by the way, arguing about who is the greatest in the kingdom. And so Jesus uh, called a child to him, the Bible says, and he, he, he put a child right in the midst of him, he said. And, and in verse 3, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes this lowly position of a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Verse 6, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Verse 7, woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person that through them they come. Amen. So in verse 6 and 7, or 5 and 6, it says that, that whoever welcomes a child welcomes me, but whoever offends a child causes them to sin, fall into sin, or causes them to lose trust in the Lord or abandon their faith. Those who lead people or children away from the teachings of Jesus into sin. And he's also talking about not just spiritual children. He is talking about spiritual children here, believers, those who believe in him. But he's also talking about natural children. How many believe that? He's talking about children in the natural as well. And I don't know about you, but um, I've kind of been awake a little bit in the last 10 years, but there is more profanity, there is more perversion, and more of a destruction of innocence in our generation than I believe that it's been for a long, long time. But aren't you glad that there's a power greater, amen, there's something greater, amen, that overcomes the world. The Bible says that greater is he that overcomes, and that is in you that overcomes the world, or that is in the world. Come on, how many believe that? So the, that, that what is in you and overcomes the world. And so, yeah, there's a lot of perversion, there's a lot of profanity today. And I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, it's a, it's a really... Uh, kind of a really a place that we need to walk carefully uh, in our day, especially with our children. I don't know about you, but um, um, the, I believe that at the heart of every plan of the devil is a, is a plan to destroy innocence. I mean, anything and everything that is good, that is pure, that is innocent, the devil wants to destroy. It's the nature of a predator to seek out the young and the vulnerable. Right? How many know that? And so we believe that, that there is this, this uh, I believe, this um, powerful attack today happening right now. It's a strategic plan, a well-thought-out plan from the enemy that is to destroy our children and the innocence of children. Come on, right? And innocence as a whole. And so I, I want to share with you today the strength of innocence. The strength of innocence. And one of the things that we realize and we notice as we look at Scripture, this isn't new. What we're going through isn't new. It's just that we're going through it now. Um, in Moses' day, the, the Bible says that Pharaoh ordered that all the firstborn be killed. All the first, firstborn males be killed. 
And Moses was spared because he heard about a deliverer that was going to rise up out of that generation. And so Pharaoh wanted the children to die. And so then in Jesus' day, the Bible says all the children from two years and younger were killed because he heard of a deliverer or Messiah coming from that generation. And then also in Josiah's day, this is very interesting, in Josiah's day, that they were offering their children to the God of Molech. The God of Molech was a, uh, an idol that had the, the head of a goat in the body of a man, and, um, and they were offering, their, and this was the people of God, by the way. They, they were, were offering their children to this God of Molech. They were passing him through the fire, they said. They would take their children and pass them over the fire, and, and they would dedicate them to the God of Molech. And I'm going to tell you, so we see a couple things happening in the history uh, of the scriptures, that there was, there was this destruction because there was a deliverer on the rise, is that right? There was this killing of innocent children because there was a deliverer among them. But also, here's what's just as bad. There was a, uh, uh, parents were actually dedicating their children to the God of the culture. Molech was the God of the Amorites. He was the God of the culture. He was a, uh, like their pop culture idol. He was their God that, that was the God of fashion and the God of, uh, of, of, of thought and idea. And he was the the God of the pop culture, and so he was the, the God of the culture. And I don't know about you, but I, I, if God you know, had something to say about it back then, I believe he has something to say about it now, amen? And how many believe in our culture, what's popular isn't always right? Amen, but can you imagine, amen, back then there's the people of God dedicating their children to culture, dedicating their, their, their children to the God of culture and saying, you know what, he's going to raise them. How many know that's dangerous? That's not good, is it? And in fact, when Josiah came along, God did such a work in his life that the Bible says that he destroyed uh, the God of Molech and that idol. And he burned it and he, he um, burned it in such a way and destroyed it in such a way that the Bible says he took the ashes of that and he sprinkled it into the river. And that's, how many know that's destruction? Anyways, well, I believe that whatever the enemy means for evil, God is going to turn it around for good and for victory. Amen? But how many know there is a uh, really, uh, we see this kind of this uh, real attack against innocence, and that's really what it is. It's an attack against everything that's good and right and pure and innocent in our culture. And it's always been really, but we're just seeing it emphasized in a height of again uh, and again in our culture. And so, um, one of the things you have to understand is that, uh, and I was reading these scriptures and looking at what the Bible says about children, is that innocence is the core of children's heart. That's, that's just their heart is innocent. How many know when kids are innocent, they just say things that come to their mind, but it's innocent, isn't it? They don't know what they're saying sometimes. They just, they just blurt it out and say it, and there's an innocence at the core of a child's heart. And children really are always represented by innocence. When you would think of what is innocent and what is pure, you always think of a child, don't you? But how many know that exposure to ideas and situations too early in life can damage a child for the rest of his life? There's an exposure to the forbidden or the unnatural, the inappropriate that impacts the core of innocence in the heart of a child. And we see that going on and, and happening. And some of you uh, are here today and that was your testimony that something happened when you were young that, that really impacted your innocence. It, it damaged your innocence. It, it, uh, if I could say the word perverted your innocence in that sense, that it twisted it, it confused you. Um, it really brought something that maybe that as a child you dealt with that most children your age didn't have to deal with. 
right? There was an exposure to something. There was an exposure to a lot. And, and I believe that, that we need to protect our children. We need to protect the innocence of our children. Does anybody agree with that? Amen. Keep your children innocent. As a parent, keep, your, keep everything innocent. And, and I like, you know, when our kids, they would tell jokes. They were so corny, but they were so innocent. Amen? Come on. We don't, we don't, kids don't have to, uh, you know, be up on the latest uh, uh, kind of adult situations and, and, and themes in their life. They don't need to do that. They need to stay innocent. Does anybody believe that? Amen. And so I really do believe that. But one of the questions is, I was thinking about this is that how would you destroy innocence? How would somebody destroy innocence? How does the devil destroy innocence? Uh, and how do we see people in our past history destroy innocence? And I believe the answer is this. You have to normalize what is wrong. You have to normalize what is wrong. And so how is that normalized? Well, I believe that things are normalized, that, that things that are wrong are normalized, introduced by this overwhelming, uh, this overwhelming sense um, and this presentation is constant dripping of images and information and saturated with ideas and philosophies. And, and you have to make it seem popular. You have to condition people's mind that it's okay. That it's okay to be bad. It's okay. Can you imagine t- telling a child it's okay to set fire to a house? It's okay to, to uh, you know, drink alcohol when you're five years old. Can you imagine telling a child that? But that's what our culture does. Amen? And there's this, this normalizing of these things that make it seem popular that you're going to be out of it if you don't get with the program. If you don't jump on board with what everybody's doing, man, you're going to be out of it. And so you have to give that feeling. You have to show the need for it. You have to show its usefulness and the benefits of it. You have to create strong reasons for uh, why the wrong should be right and, and why wicked should be good. Um, you have to appeal to what's important and essential in life, like marriage and family and education. You have to appeal to those things to, to normalize it. You have to make it okay, seem like it's necessary and it's a part of these necessary elements in our lives, these essential areas of our lives. And then you have to give the feeling of guilt and fear. Um, guilt because if you don't like this and if you don't go with this, well, then something's wrong with you. And, and then you have to like play on the, 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 the feeling of fear that, uh, that if you don't, you're, you're, you're the enemy. You're, you're the one that's really bad for our society. You're the one that, come on, you have to create enemies. You have to be able to say, uh, this is, people are opposing this. And, and this is why it should be good because people are opposing it. Anybody? Sound familiar? And I believe that the process of this normalization uh, that we see, what it does is it ties innocence and the forbidden together, and so much so that, that you lose innocence altogether, that, that when you tie the innocent and the forbidden together, and you keep mixing and mixing and mixing, you lose innocence altogether. There's no more innocence left. In fact, I like to think of it this way, is that if you took a dash of truth and you mixed it in the batter of lies, you make it attractive, and that's how you normalize it. You just take a crumb of truth, you just take a dash of truth, and you sprinkle it in a cake of lies, and you make it presentable, you make it attractive, you make it desirable. That's what the devil does. Hello? Anybody? How many know with temptation, he doesn't come with what's evil, he comes in and makes it look good. Is that what Eve said when she saw the forbidden fruit? It looked good. It looked pleasing. It looked pleasant to the eyes. How many know that's, that's the way sin? Sin looks pleasant. It never starts off bad and evil and corrupt and, and destructive. It always starts out looking good. Is that right? 
And that's what it fools us. That's where we get deceived, the Bible says. That's where we get tempted. We get drawn away because it looks so good. And that's how you normalize wickedness and sin and things that are wrong. And that's how you do it as a, as a, a kind of a culture or a people group or a nation. That's how it happens. And, you know, you think about it for decades, for decades, we have asked ourselves this question. How did someone like Hitler come into power? How did someone like Hitler become so liked? How did he stay there so long? How was he able to do what he did under the nose in that nation of those people in that nation? How was he able to stay there? How was he able to say the things that he said? And so many people have asked that question, but I believe one of the answers is this, is that there was an extensive, well-organized process of conditioning. It wasn't one overnight. It was a process conditioning, played on the emotions, played on the need, played on there was, hey, we got to get back as a nation. Come on, anybody. This is a, at the History Channel. You can find this out. So it wasn't anything new, but, but this is what he was doing, and this is the way it happens. And when Jesus said, if anybody offends one of these children, we can put in the word today, grooming children. If anybody conditions these children in a way that leads them away from the Lord, in a way that leads them into sin, it's better for them to die. It's better for them to have a 3,000-pound stone on their neck. And how many know you're not, you're not coming up? That's what basically the, you're done. You're done. You're not, you know, the rope's not going to break and you're going to live. No, you're done. Like, you're done. That's what Jesus is saying. It's better for you to be done. It's better for you to die than you to offend somebody who is a new Christian, a young Christian, somebody who is a Christian, somebody who's young in age, somebody who's vulnerable, somebody who believes anything you say, someone who is a child or a child. It's so wrong for you to educate them against what God has put in them from the very beginning. Amen? How many know there's a lot of brainwashing going on? There's, a, there's an enemy wants to brainwash our children, and now it's down to our children. It used to be like, okay, the adults are messing up and things are going bad. Now it's in our children. And so now we need to take this position as the church and what the Bible says about this, this problem that we have or these issues that are going on. Amen. But how many still believe that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world? Amen. I believe that. And one of the things I love that uh, the youth are going through a, a mini-series right now of social media. And they're not promoting it in the, the series and not going uh, facing it as if all social media is evil and it's bad and it's corrupt. But just aware, making kids aware of social media. And one of the things that we're really not aware of with social media is social media is not so much an addictive tool as much as it is a conditioning tool. Did you realize that? People say, oh, I'm addicted to my phone. No, there's a conditioning. You have to reach for it. You get up in the morning. When you go to bed, you're always, there's a conditioning. You are conditioned. You need it. You have to have it. You've got to check your this and that and everything. How many know that's conditioning? That's what it is. And so it's more of a conditioning tool if, if you don't use it in the right way. And if you don't, you know, if you don't, if you allow it to control your life, amen, this is what happens. It begins to condition you that you be, begin to look for these likes and, and long for these likes. And you, you're just, come on, and, and all of a sudden you're just in that place of, of uh, I've got to have it because it's part of my identity. I need that. That's my companionship. You know, some people are just literally married, dating their phone. Like they're just constantly with it more than they are other people. They'd rather be on their phone than actually interact with people. That's a, that's a bad condition, isn't it? Years ago, back in the late 90s, this saying um, started to become popular in our culture. And it said this, that if you keep the shower running long enough, people will be get, get used to being wet. 
And that's conditioning. If you keep going, you keep saying it long enough, if you, keep, if you keep just doing it, and how many know that you can destroy innocence that way? You can destroy what is good and what is healthy and what is strong by this continually battering of this philosophy that's bad, this, this thing that's evil, this thing that's bad and wicked. And, and initially we'd be like, that's so bad, but you give it some time, then we're like, it's not so bad. And then you give it some more time and say, it's pretty good. And give it some more time and says, we need it. We have to have it. And that's conditioning. How many know Jesus said when you, this kind of, this kind of uh, attitude destroys innocence? It really does, doesn't it? Let me just say this and tie it in with us today. Romans chapter 16, verse 19. As he's opening up this letter, he, he encourages the church and he said, Everyone has heard about your obedience. It's just worldwide. The way you're obe- obeying God. It's awesome. So I rejoice because of you, Paul said. And then he wrote this. Very profound statement, he said. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Okay? And and then then Solomon wrote to his sons in Proverbs, he says, You should be wise in righteousness, but fools in evil. Think about it. This is what he's saying. Be smart in righteousness and an idiot in sin. Be indulgent in righteousness and anemic in sin. Be relevant in righteousness, but outdated in sin. Come on, somebody. Amen. Not be relevant in sin and outdated in righteousness. Not, uh, you know, an idiot in righteousness. Come on, dumb in righteousness and smart in sin. Some people are smart. They're more educated in what sin is out there and what sin looks like and what's going on in that world and the sin and, and everything more than they are in the kingdom of God and the scriptures. Is that right? Amen. And so this is what he's saying is that we need to be wise in what is good and innocent or ignorant, not ignorant, but innocent. In other words, you're clean, you're blameless about what is evil. For the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I love that ending. That's a great way to end a letter, isn't it? Cheer up, man. One day you're just going to crush Satan. I love that. Amen. And I just want to say this about innocence. Innocence is not ignorance. Purity is not stupidity. In fact, it's the very opposite. It's wisdom. Purity is wisdom. Come on, somebody. Innocence is wisdom. It's smart. Righteousness makes sense. It's smart to be wise. It's smart to make the right choices. It's wise. Come on, somebody. Amen. Righteousness and justice make sense. That's the way to go. That's the smart way to go. That's the, come on, somebody. That makes sense, doesn't it? Many times we think that when I say the word innocence, that Christians need to be innocent, like we don't hear that anymore and we just think, oh, well, I I doubt it. We need to live on the edge. No, that's not smart. Not smart to play with with fire. It's not smart to to drive your car near the edge of the cliff all the time. Come on, it's just not smart, is it? Not smart to walk the line and see what you can get away with and live the life that, well, you won't go to hell for it. I don't know about you, but I'd rather um, be in, in, indulging in the things that I'm going to heaven for rather than trying to worry about what I can't go to heaven for, right? Amen? I want to I live what, in, in that, that realm that the Bible says of innocence, blamelessness, and harmlessness is, is what the Bible talks about. Purity is not stupidity. It doesn't mean when you're innocent, it doesn't mean that you're unaware. It doesn't mean that you're not paying attention. It just simply means this. It means that you choose to live in a stronger way than the culture around you. When you live an innocent life, you're choosing to live in a better way, a straighter way. Come on, a higher way. The Bible says that there's a highway of holiness. Is that right? And Isaiah says that. And Jesus said, narrow is the way, but leads to what? Life. 
Amen? It's the better way. It's a smart way. It's a stronger way. It's the more established way. I love that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. And then he later on told the disciples, he said, I'm putting you as sheep in the middle of wolves. In the midst of wolves. Not on the outside. Not, not somewhere. I'm putting you like a sheep in the midst of wolves. He didn't say that there's one wolf in the midst of sheep. He said there's one sheep in the midst of wolves. How many know you're outnumbered? <laughs> That's what he's saying. You're going to feel like you're outnumbered when it comes to doing what's right, practicing righteousness, living according to the Bible. You're going to be the oddball. You're going to be the, the unpopular in the group. But I'm going to put you right in the middle so you can shine as light, so you can show forth the power of God, so you can show what it's like, amen, for God to move upon one person and do miraculous things, amen. For the salvation of God to be, amen, real and evident and alive through one person. Think about it. I mean, I, I, at first when I read that years ago, I'd like, you know, reading that, Jesus said, I'm going to put you in sheep in the midst of wolves. I was like, thanks a lot, God. Really appreciate it. Like, seriously, I'm setting you up for, for hard times, for persecution. But how many know the glory of God is, is a result of those that stand steadfast? The glory of God is a result, and the power of God is a result of those who stand firm on the Word of God. Can everybody say amen? Who live innocent lives. That's what it says. In Romans, Paul said, don't let your good be evil spoken of. Don't let your good be evil spoken of. Amen. We Say that to the kids before they went somewhere. Don't let your good be evil spoken of. Mind your P's and Q's. All right, be on your best behavior. Amen. So let me just talk to you today about the strength of innocence. I just want to share with you a couple things about the strength of innocence. And I, th- the, I think when, I, when we really think about and talk about the strength of innocence, what it means to be innocent, what, what, what that means, the Bible talks about it many, many times. And that is I have to look at the innocence of Jesus. You have to look at the innocence of of Jesus. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7 that he is exactly the kind of priest that we need. For he is holy and he is blameless, unstained by sin, undefiled by sinners, to whom has been given the place of honor in heaven. How many know Jesus deserves all the glory? Jesus deserves all the praise. He is the great high priest. Come on, he is our high priest. Amen. He was sinless. He was, Peter said that he was the spotless lamb of God. He lived a spotless life, a sinless life, and yet he died an innocent life. Come on, or a death. Come on, is that right? Jesus lived a sinless life and he died an innocent death. He died the death of a criminal, but he was an innocent man. Why did he do that? Because you and I, amen, needed to be made innocent. You and I needed to be made right before God. You and I were at blame and at fault with God, but we needed, come on, the pure spotless lamb. Somebody that lived a sinless life. Somebody that was right before God, perfect and holy before God. We needed that in order for us to approach God and come before God and to say, now we are holy and we are righteous before God. Anybody? So is the innocence of Jesus. Jesus was innocent. Think about it. Many people portray Jesus. I've heard this, especially at youth conferences. We try to seem a little more edgy when we talk to young people. But, you know, I've heard people try to present Jesus that he was some type of rebel. That he was on some type of cutting edge rebel that defied the rules and broke the rules. Let me tell you something. He was the rules. He was the rules. He didn't break the rules. He wasn't some rebel. If anything, the revolution that he came to bring was against unrighteousness, unholiness, religious spirits and attitudes that have bound people for years. 
And Jesus came to set us free because he was the perfect lamb, the righteous lamb, altogether sinless. Amen. And because of that innocence, because of his sinless life, we have Amen. Salvation. That's simply the way it is. The Bible says that because he lived that sinless life before God, amen, that led the way for us to be saved. And that leads me to the second point. It's the work of innocence at the cross. It was the work of innocence that we share with Jesus, that Jesus shared with us, I should say, amen, through the cross. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 22, the Bible says that, but now Jesus, or God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. How many, that's you right there. Does that describe you? Can I see your hand? Does that describe you? Everybody that's a believer should have their hand up. Because the Bible says that through his death and his resurrection, that he presented you holy in God's sight. <laughs> holy. Well, I'm imperfect. Yes, you are. Amen. In your own flesh, in your own self, in your own power, in your own strength. But by the blood of Jesus, I'm perfect before God. I was presented holy. I was presented blameless before God. I'm justified. Just if I'd never sinned because of what Jesus did. The slate has been cleaned. Amen. Been cleared for me because of what Jesus did. So we have this innocence from Jesus. Because of what Jesus did at Calvary, now we stand before God blameless and innocent. Anybody? I don't care whether you feel it or not. This is something declared over us. This is a fact today that if you're born again, you're blameless before God. Well, I got a lot of problems. I got a lot of hang-ups. Well, welcome to the church. <laughs> welcome to the club called the church. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you. Welcome to humanity. Come on. Amen. But Praise God, we have a Savior that is holy. We've got a Savior that has made us blameless before God. And when I came to the Lord, amen, and I came before God, amen, He didn't see what I did, He saw the cross. Amen? Amen. That's what the Bible says. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, I've got to hurry along here. Is the Bible says that for He chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Because of his love, the Bible says. And so, you know, the opposite of innocence is guilt. It's shame. It's reproach. It's disgrace. It's dishonor. I don't know about you, but how many know Jesus takes those away from us? Jesus removes disgrace from our lives. He removes shame and guilt. Guilt was the feeling that you did something wrong. Shame is the feeling that you are something wrong. And how many know through Jesus Christ, he took away the guilt. He took away the shame. He gave us value. He gave us the love of God. He gave us the acceptance in the beloved. He gave us, amen, this title of blameless before God because of what Jesus did. Because he lived an innocent life. I can live an innocent life. Anybody? Come on, amen? This is, this is the salvation we have. And then thirdly, I love this. The Bible says that there is a call to us today, right now, to innocence. Not just what Jesus did at Calvary, but from Calvary till the day that you meet Jesus Christ in heaven, we've got to walk innocent lives. Did you know that? The Bible uses the word blameless, and I want to read a scripture about that. But the Bible says that we're called to innocence until we go to heaven. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's intention. This is God's plan for us. This is the, we talked about the call of ministry. Well, this is the call on our lives. How many believe that God has called us to innocence? God has called us to live a blameless life. 
And people don't like to talk about this all the time because, oh, we got so many problems. Yes, that's part of being blameless and harmless. That's part of the process. That's part of our identity. We are in human flesh, but we have a resurrected Savior on the inside. We've got the Holy Ghost on the inside. Amen? Come on, we've got this treasure in earthen vessels. On the outside, yeah, we make mistakes. We're human. We've, we got tempted. We do this, and we may even fall, and we sin. But on the inside, I'm a new creation. Amen? I love that. Amen. Let me check the time because that's what my notes say. Amen. It's just I got into this and I I felt like, Lord, there's so much of this. But I believe that God's calling us to live innocently, not ignorantly, not stupid, not not like you don't know anything. I don't know anything. How many know we need to be fully aware of what's happening in our culture, but we're not stained by what's going on in our culture because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. He's called us to live in victory. He's called us to live uh, in, in blameless, a harmless life, in innocence, so that the world would see Jesus, who is innocent, who is pure, who is sinless. Come on, without stain, the Bible says. The perfect, spotless lamb of God. I want to read the scripture real quick, and, and I'll leave it with you. I won't, I'm just going to hit a couple things. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 and 16, one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible, it says this, that, that we need to understand that God is working in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He's helping you want to obey him and then helping you do what he wants, not in your own strength, but in his strength. And, and then he says in verse 15, that you are called to be the harmless and blameless sons of God without rebuke in the midst, in the middle, right in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation. Who you should shine as lights is what he says. And Jesus back then, he called his generation faithless and perverse generation. And when you look at these things, these couple words, first of all, harmless, it's talking about being unmixed, the pure. Um, the, the definition for purity is simply un, uh, no mixture, without mixture. That's the definition of purity, no mixture. Um, but it's not, many times when we talk about being harmless or blameless, we think that we, it means being ineffective or meaningless. That's not what the Bible talks about. It's not, it's just say, simply saying that you need to live uh, in, without poison, <laughs> That's a good way to put it, without mixture. And then the blameless. It uses the word blameless, and we've been talking about innocence, but it says it 15 times in the Bible. It talks about being blameless, specifically to the children of God and, and those who are righteous, those who are born again. It means uh, innocent again, same word, uh, same word of purity, without mixture. But it also means faultless, not without flaws. <laughs> Come on, not without flaws, but faultless. In other words, in Psalms, it says, when the world looks at you, God doesn't want the world to be able to say, "Uh uh-huh, we knew it wasn't real. Uh Uh-huh, we knew you were a hypocrite. Uh Aha, we got him. Come on. The the Bible doesn't want the world to speak evil of God because of us. Amen. Doesn't ever want it to be said that I didn't make it to heaven because you didn't live the life or you didn't tell me or you come on that that's what he's talking about faultless unblemished not guilty without rebuke without reproach and that doesn't also mean it doesn't mean that you're not responsible for your actions well I'm already blameless before God I'm just living my life no you have to be responsible for your actions come on somebody amen that's part of living the life of blameless and being innocent you've got to make that right choice and it talks about crooked and perverse. Crooked is the natural condition of our culture, and perverse is the spiritual condition of our culture. You don't have time to get into that. And, and really what that is is the people who have lost their sense of what is right. So we live in a culture of people that if you don't know God, you've literally lost your sense of what is right. 
And how many know the gospel sets us back in order, sets us back on course of what is right? It brings us back into righteousness with God. And I believe that the gospel heals both spiritual and natural conditions. Amen? Can you say amen? And I just want to finish up with this today. <clears throat> the effects of um, innocence. Number one, I'm not going to go through this, but it, number one, a good conscience. A good conscience. The Bible says that many people have made shipwreck their faith because they didn't listen to the Lord or they were led about by uh, people preaching lies and hypocrisy and they followed those people and they became shipwrecked in their faith and they, they lost a good conscience. I mean, you know, you can't pay enough money for a good conscience. Amen. That peace of mind, that sense of, of peace in your heart, that you have a good conscience, that there's nothing that, that you're saying no to God about, that you're refusing to give up, that, that God continually has to deal with you because you want to hold on to the sin. Man, it's a, it's a great thing to have a good conscience before God. And how many know that you, you can say what you want before people, but only God knows really what's in your heart. Amen. Right? And so we want that pure heart. We want that good conscience before God. That's, that's between us and God, but we want that. That's what the effects of innocence is, a good conscience. It's also fuel for a strong faith. That's what a innocence is. It gives you a strong faith. It just fuels your faith. It absolutely helps you stand the test of, uh, of a, a ridicule and persecution and temptation and, and just bowing down to culture. Come on, somebody. It fuels strong faith. And then it really is a powerful testimony to other people. That's the effects of being innocent. That you can actually say, how many, how many have ever gotten in trouble? Or, or you've been with people, they got in trouble, and they said, you're coming too. And then they, they you know, at a principal's office, which I, I know just about every principal's office in the valley. But anyways, when they bring you in, and then like, you know, how many know it's really good to say, you're innocent, you didn't do anything, you can leave. That's a good feeling, isn't it? How many know in your brothers and sisters, right? Somebody colored on the wall, right? Somebody did something on the wall. You line them all up. Who did it? Right? And, of course, everybody's pointing to the youngest, which they always do. And whatever. And, you know, and, and you have those kids that, you know, there's somebody that's innocent in this group, and we're going to find out who it is. Right? There's somebody that's guilty in this group. And how many love that feeling that you know in your heart, I didn't do it this time. You know, right? Is that you? Yeah, that was me. I didn't do it this time, right? Yeah. Anyways, that was like once in my life I said that. No. And, um, but there's that testimony before others. Wow. Man, I, I'm, I'm living before the Lord. It's, it's a pure faith. It's holy. It's, it's not something in my own strength that I'm trying to do myself so that people can say, look how good I am. But they can look in my life and say, look how good God is. Amen. Look how faithful God is to that person. Look how strong their faith is in God when they face those situations in their life. Amen. How many know that's about being innocent? How many want to have the strength of innocence in their life? How many believe God's calling you to a place of, amen, innocence and walking blameless and harmless? Not, not that we're not going to preach the gospel and, well, I'm just going to not touch anybody that's, you know, not a Christian. I'm not going to talk to anybody. That's not what it's talking about. What it is is that we can live a life that we can say, you know what? Amen. I have, I have a life that I'm living that says I'm, I'm harmless before a sin and I'm, I'm ignorant to sin, but I'm wise to righteousness. I know what's going on when it comes to right. I don't know what's going I don't know really too much about doing wrong anymore, but I do know about doing right. Amen. Can we stand on our feet today? Let me just share this in, before we get ready to leave and 
sign up for serve teams today. Amen. The strength of innocence really is that it remains in you. It works in you. That's the strength of innocent, innocence when it comes down to it, is that it really works in you. It, you know, you got to keep it in your mind. you got to keep your eyes. you got to keep your speech. Keep it in your marriage. Keep it with your kids, this, this innocence. It's just, Lord, help me to, to be blameless. Help me to be harmless when it comes to sin, when it comes to the things that aren't right in my culture and, and, my, and our culture and, and social media and, and all these things, Lord, that, that I'm, I'm dealing with, Lord, in my mouth and my speech and all the things that, you know, that I'm talking about and the way I'm talking to people. And how many know it's not so much sometimes what you're looking at, it's how you're looking at it. Jesus said if you look at a woman and then you have lust in your heart while you're looking, you're sinning. So, so a lot of times it's not just what you're looking at, it is how you're looking at it. And I don't know about you, but I want to say, Lord, it's, I want an innocence when I'm looking at something, when I'm talking, when I'm in my marriage, my kids. The Bible says that the marriage bed is undefiled, honorable, undefiled. Amen. And it stays that way because we practice those things in our marriage on a daily basis. Keep it innocent. Keep it, amen, just keep it pure. Keep it good. Amen. Keep it holy and healthy. Amen. In your life. Keep your kids, you know, and you're not going to protect your kids from everything. I'm just going to tell you right now. Spoiler alert. You're not going to protect your kids from what's out there in the world, but you can give them something on the inside that there's going to be a protection in their heart. Amen. Amen. And you can protect them that way. And you can protect them as long as they're in your house. You can, you can have your kids be innocent and, and teach them what is good, what is right, what is pure. Amen. What is honorable before the Lord. What is gracious before the Lord. And I believe we can do that. So that strength of innocence really remains in us. It's up to us. And, and so leaving today, we just have to understand that and ask these questions and understand that, Lord, you want me to live a life that's harmless and blameless. Am I doing that? Am I really doing that? I love this about Philippians chapter 2 when he gives us this um, exhortation. At the very beginning, he said this, it is God that works in you. It's God that's working in you. How many know it's God that's working in us? It's God that's teaching me to do this. We look at many Christians and say, well, wow, that just comes natural. They're such a great person. Oh, they got their life together. But how many know we can all say before the Lord that it's God that's working in us? It's the Lord that's working in us. That's why it's important that we yield to the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. That's why it's important that we yield to God on a daily basis. Whatever area, God, you want to touch in my life, whatever you want to change in my life, I know it's for your glory. I know it's for your good. And I'm just simply yielding to your process, to your way of innocence and being harmless and blameless, the sons of God, in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation. And this really what it comes down to, the strength of innocence is really bringing people from a place of darkness into a place of light. Amen. It's really our witness that's important, isn't it? It's really our witness that people that just don't know how to do. When Jesus was crucified, what did he say? Lord, forgive them because they don't understand what they're doing. Don't be so quick to condemn your neighbors and be so quick to condemn people that don't know the Lord. Well, look at them. Listen, I don't know about you, but before I would say, I didn't know any better about something. I just did it. I just, I just, some of us didn't know. I had the privilege of growing up in church and hearing about the gospel at a young age. But for most people, they just don't know. Come on, somebody. Amen. But how many know there's one thing they can know from you, and that is the goodness of the Lord, the salvation of Jesus, and the innocence that Jesus laid his life down for them that they can be blameless before God. 
That's one of the things that they need to know. How many are just challenged today? I, I am. When I read this and, and, and studied the scriptures, I was just so challenged. So we'll let the Lord challenge you today. Let the Lord work in your heart and work in your marriage and your family. Let's just live this life of innocence and live the strength of innocence before this generation. And who needs Jesus so bad, so much? Amen. Amen. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's just pray. Lord, we just thank you for today. We pray, Lord, first of all, I want to pray a hedge of protection around all the children in this room, in this building, Lord. And I thank you for a wonderful children's ministry. I thank you for, Lord, people that have a heart to just teach children the right way, what is good, what is healthy, what is wholesome, what is pure, what is God. But, Lord, there's so many people that in this valley, they don't know what is right. They don't know. They just don't know. So, Lord, I pray for all the children and the families in this valley, in this, in this region, that you would protect the children and the young minds and the young hearts, what the devil wants to do on a global scale. We pray for protection. We pray that your angels are going to guard round about are the children, Lord. And they may not even know you, but they are precious in your sight. They are valuable to you. And you said if anyone gives, amen, welcomes any child, they welcome you. So, Lord, we have to pray for every child because, Lord, you, you created them and they're they're, they're closest to your heart, Lord, I believe. And so, Lord, we pray for protection in, in our culture, in our generation. I pray that, Lord, all the plans of the enemy are going to explode. And, and, and just, Lord, I pray that they're just going to come to naught, Lord. I pray that they're not going to work and they're not going to come to pass. Everyone who has evil in their heart concerning children in the educational system, Lord, is going to, every plan is going to foil. It's going to, Lord, I pray that we be replaced by righteous men and women that are introducing righteous standards, righteousness through the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord. I pray that men and women's hearts, you'll deal with them, severely deal with them about what is right and what is good, and what is pure and what is innocent, and what they're doing is not good, is wrong. And Lord, I pray that only you, only you can deal with people in their hearts, Lord. But Lord, we are responsible to talk and to tell people, so help us, Lord. And we just give you all the praise and all the glory, and we just thank you, Lord, that you are moving in such a way and Lord, where the enemy is moving, Lord, in darkness, you're moving in a greater light. And I thank you where darkness appears, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And I give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen and amen. If you're here today and, and you have a need in your heart, your life, maybe a physical need, we have a prayer team coming. Amen. Right up front here, we'd love to pray with you. If you're new and you're visiting with us today, we'd love to meet with you and, and maybe talk about some things.